Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 69 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending September 22, 2017, the Apples and Honey Edition. In this week, Jay and I return for a wide-ranging discussion of some of the top compliance and ethics-related stories which occurred over the past week. We talk about the Telia Company, settlement of a massive FCPA enforcement action, new concerns about money laundering, and uh, companies who are doing business in Venezuela and what that might mean for them. We talk about an article in The Guardian, <clears throat> which discussed a internal probe launch by the EU airplane manufacturer Airbus into an unexplained payment. We take a look at an article by Jacqueline Jaeger from Compliance Week about E&I and its release of new information on allegations of bribery and corruption in Africa. We talk about Compliance Week's editor Bill Coffin's interview of Wei Chen and give our thoughts on that interview. We talk about the uh, details that have come out about the uh, FCPA probe of Uber and how that uh, may impact the company going forward. Jay Rosen uh, comes up with the phrase, switch to lift. We discuss the Astros clinching the NL West and tying, once again, sports to compliance. Take a look at burner phones, Ole Miss recruiting, and its implications for the compliance practice. I review my uh, past week of <coughs> compliance-related podcasts of one month to a more effective compliance program on the Innovation Month. And Jay uh, reviews his upcoming weekend report. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to This Week in FCPA, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, this is Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, the only dedicated weekly broadcast about all things FCPA. I'm being joined by my colleague, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and we'd like to welcome you to the Apples and Honey Edition, as it is Rosh Hashanah. One of the traditions is eating apples, which are a reminder of a sweet new year, and the honey signifies hopes for sweet new things to come. So, Tom, thanks for joining us, and what's happening this week in FCPA? So, Jay, um, it may be a good way to end the week with a little sweetness, because we certainly had some uh, untoward and nefarious events uh, happen this week. Uh, maybe we should start with the biggest, which came out yesterday. Uh, which was the Telia company, the Swedish telecom company, settled a massive FCPA enforcement action. And when I say massive, I mean uh, to the tune of uh, nearly a billion dollars, coming in at $965 million. The uh, settlement was $548 million in criminal penalties to the Department of Justice, $457 in uh, profit disgorgement to the uh, SEC, and while that adds up uh, to uh, one point nine, excuse me, one point oh five billion, forty million of the disgorgement is offset by a forty million dollar uh, forfeiture to the Department of Justice. So uh, Dick Casson estimated the total penalties came in at nine hundred sixty five million uh, and nine hundred sixty five point six million. There is going to be some amount of payments to the Swedish and uh, Dutch authorities which will be credited against the settlement. So uh, we don't know what those are uh, at this point. Um, but uh, it's just a, a huge settlement of a massive uh, systemic, literally to the senior executives and top uh, board of directors of the company, 
uh, bribery scheme. It um, involved <clears throat> bribery of um, government officials in Uzbekistan, our old friend Gulnara Karamova, the daughter of the former president who was doling out um, telecom licenses, uh, as we saw with Vimplecom. And <clears throat> she was paid about $335 million in bribes by Tilia over a multi-year period. The company got an initial license and then two upgrades to move to a 3 and 4G network. So uh, I've explored the, uh, the basic background facts in my blog post today, and I'm going to explore some of the, uh, um, the detail of the bribery schemes because they were quite sophisticated and the uh, lessons learned for the compliance practitioner going forward. The, uh, the case also had a um, um, uh, kleptocracy component because under the Kleptocracy Act, uh, the Department of Justice had won a uh, $30 million impound award back in 2015 for bank accounts linked to Karamova uh, at the Bank of New York Mellon um, in various locations. And also in 200, excuse me, in 2014, Swiss prosecutors seized about $820 million as a part of a money laundering investigation uh, into Karamova. So huge amount of uh, corruption in Central Asia for multiple years. A massive uh, FCPA settlement from the Department of Justice. Dick Casson uh, put it as uh, the number one FCPA settlement of all time, uh, exceeding the uh, Siemens settlement. While Siemens was a total settlement of uh, 1.6 billion, only 800 was uh, for FCPA sins. So um, I guess it's appropriate to talk about sins today. Um, so uh, to uh, coming in number one at the FCPA of all time, I think it puts it number four on the uh, top 10 international list under uh, uh, JBS from Brazil, from Odebrecht from Brazil, Siemens from Germany, and now Telia's. Um, I guess the quick, uh, we really probably don't have time to go into uh, the details of the uh, bribery schemes, but the, the one theme that I think, Jay, is the most overarching is it demonstrated the international component of enforcement. And we we certainly were aware of that from statements by Kara Brockmeyer when she was uh, with the Department of Justice, excuse me, with the Securities and Exchange Commission she made at the um, ACI National Conference and Dan Kahn made similar statements in multiple Department of Justice and SEC representatives. But uh, if you look at both the DOJ and SEC press releases, you still see a plethora of enforcement officials and prosecutorial offices literally from across the globe. Obviously, you had the Dutch and Swede Swedish, but you also had uh, prosecutors in Norway, prosecutors in Switzerland, prosecutors in Latvia. Uh, uh, help uh, from regulators, uh, regulators and law enforcement officials in France, Spain, Hong Kong, uh, the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom, the British Virgin Island Financial Services Commission, the Cayman Islands, the Bermudan Money Authority, Cyprus Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Central Bank of Ireland. Here in the United States, we had the uh, IRS and the Department of Homeland Sec Security were specifically acknowledged to have been involved. And then uh, finally, uh, in addition to the fraud section, uh, which the department, which the FCPA unit falls under, the DOJ money laundering and asset recovery section was involved. So, literally, uh, investigations and now enforcement across the globe—a huge case. We're going to be unpacking this one for 
for quite some time. Um, kudos to Dick Casson for breaking the story yesterday. Uh, as usual, he's uh, the lead uh, blogger on these things. So uh, a really interesting uh, case that we'll be talking about for some time. And they're going to need a monitor. So there. Well, I don't know about that, Tom, because I looked at the, uh, the DPA, and it says in there, as of right now, that based on the company's cooperation, no monitor is being um, uh, required. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if we have a chance to unpack that on uh, today's episode, but I believe with um, the other large telecom matter, Vimplecom, they did get a monitor. Is that correct? They did. They did. Yeah. Maybe that speaks to the uh, level of cooperation that Tilia engaged in. We should note that uh, the fine and penalty, uh, even as high as it was, was discounted 25% off the bottom uh, end of this uh, range as suggested by the U.S. sentencing guidelines. And specifically, it was uh, discounted for the company's cooperation in the investigation and their um, remediation going forward. Uh, the company did not self-disclose, so they were not eligible for any additional credit. Nevertheless, uh, with that and without requiring a monitor, certainly communicates that the company is, is moving forward in a way the Department of Justice is cert uh, certainly recognizes. Yeah, so I, I think uh, from, uh, from a company perspective, that is uh, a positive thing. And the, the one point that I wanted to just reinforce is uh, if there was any doubt about global cooperation happening on the anti-corruption front, I think uh, the Tilia matter does, uh, does a good job of dispelling that. So, you know, again, sometimes we focus on numbers and settlements and what's happening. But when you get a, a blockbuster like this and it shows all the global interagency cooperation I think that's a good thing for our, us to be looking at in terms of global anti-corruption uh, cooperation. Jay, next I wanted to talk about a very interesting uh, advisory uh, sent out by the Tr Department of Treasury's Financial Crimes Network, or FinCEN. And um, there's really two parts to it. The first part is that... Uh, FinCEN wants banks and U.S. commercial entities to be aware of who they're doing business with regarding Venezuela. Obviously, the Venezuelan uh, corruption situ uh, situation is quite high, and uh, political relations between our countries um, are, uh, if not at the low ebb, certainly moving in that direction. And there, uh, the sanctions, uh, state of sanctions between the United States and Venezuela is fluid, even as we speak today. But the second part of this is, in addition to putting uh, banks and uh, other uh, commercial operations on notice, they, the, the FinCEN advisory seemed to indicate that they wanted banks to uh, look out for transactions, which would show links, signs of any link to Venezuela and corruption. And, and I found that part very interesting. Um, if you are in an FCPA investigation, certainly the Department of Justice um, uh, expects you to uh, cooperate fully in that we're aware of, and we're certainly aware of self-disclosure. And But I don't think we have been aware that the government has asked banks and or um, companies to be aware of and be on the watch for uh, links to corruption. Um, 
suspicious activity reports have been part of the banking regime for some time, so perhaps you can say that's uh, looking for corruption. But here uh, I found this uh, very interesting that because of the crisis between the two countries, um, that FinCEN would really reach out and utilize uh, private private players uh, to help uh, enforce uh, an anti-corruption uh, program against uh, the country of Venezuela. I think it's also um, very interesting that they've gone out and outlined uh, certain countries where there might be um, actually not countries, actually certain states within the U.S. where there might be issues of former Venezuelan government officials buying um, hard assets such as real estate in South Florida and Houston. Um, not so sure the real estate's hot in Houston right now, but there are several red flags that are enumerated in this article. Uh, to your point about trying to uh, be on the lookout for any type of uh, schemes run by uh, members or former members of the Venezuelan government. Uh, next, I saw a very interesting article uh, by a couple of reporters in The Guardian, a UK uh, publication. David Peb Pegg and Rob Evans wrote about an investigation that uh, the U. EU airplane manufacturer Airbus started after a Guardian expose. But the thing that really struck me was that the expose, excuse me, the, the investigation was on an unexplained, and I put that in quotes, 16 million euro payment. And uh, it was not clear uh, because the payment was unexplained. It was not clear who was uh, for, what it was for. Um, obviously, if a payment of that nature is made, um, it could certainly be part of a, a bribe or a bribery scheme. But the thing that really struck me, Jay, was the document, document, document part. If you have an unexplained payment, that's now enough to initiate an investigation. And um, it really speaks to the need for robust internal controls, uh, accurate financial records, both required uh, under uh, the FCPA. So uh, kudos to the reporters for uh, picking this up, and uh, we'll have to see how that plays out going forward. Definitely. Uh, next up uh, on our list, uh, we have uh, our good friend uh, Jacqueline Jager uh, taking a look at some information released about the Italian energy company ENI and looking at multiple places where they have uh, global uh, corruption issues. So let's let's set the stage here a little bit uh, because ENI was the first company uh, literally across the globe to receive an ISO 37001 certification. So uh, ISO has touted that as uh, proof of the efficacy of the, their standard. Uh, they re ENI received that standard approximately two weeks before the current CEO and former CEO were criminally indicted for uh, paying bribes. Uh, to secure contracts in Libya. Now we have uh, Jacqueline um, reporting that uh, ENI itself has released additional corruption uh, allegations involving companies' actions in Nigeria, Iraq, Kazakhstan, Algeria, and the Congo. And a number of, um, of uh, people obviously uh, involved in this have grown, and both the uh, Italians and other uh, international uh, regulators and prosecutors are taking a look at this. The uh, former CEO and another uh, senior manager are uh, under investigation uh, as well. Uh, 
So um, it's going to be uh, very, very interesting um, to see. And certainly uh, you have to wonder about the value of a uh, ISO 37001 certificate when uh, all of this is going down with E&I. So well, there's Good another question. article in uh, Compliance Week that I think uh, kind of caught your eye and actually caught a lot of people's eyes, uh, Jay. And that was Bill Coffin, uh, the editor of Compliance Week. He interviewed Wei Chen. And I was wondering uh, what your thoughts uh, on the interview uh, were, uh, particularly with some of the other public comments Wei Chen has made. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's really, um, you know, a thought leader out there in this field. And a couple points that I wanted to touch on, and we'll see if they resonated with you, is um, at one point during this interview with Bill, she talked about that, you know, there really uh, shouldn't be, quote, unquote, specific ethics and compliance training, but this should be really rolled up more into a quote, how you do your job unquote training. So at one point in this article, she was asking somebody, you know, did you train on this? And they said, well, you know, it wasn't a regulatory issue, so we didn't do any training. So uh, her, um, I think, hypothesis now is that there are a lot of people who are prosecutors out there that know what to look for, but the people who are in the U.S. regulatory agencies do not know what those same things are. And you really need somebody who not only understands the business application of some of these uh, red flags that you need to look for, but you really have to, as you know, you've said ad nauseum, you have to bake your ethics and compliance controls into your daily business operations. So I think those would be the, the broad comments that I took from it. But, you know, once again, Wei is really showing that she thinks a lot about this. And I think she is somebody that potentially can be a great bridge for the ethics and compliance community because she understands this both from a business perspective and also what kind of uh, prosecutions were happening at the DOJ when she was there. Right. So I certainly uh, picked up on the training comments as well. And I guess the um, my broad thoughts on the, the interview was her continued advocacy of operationalization of your compliance program. Uh, she obviously talked about that significantly in the evaluation of corporate compliance programs document released by the Department of Justice in February, which, you know, it turns out, Jay, we uh, she wrote it actually, uh, I think, first draft in December 2015. So she was talking to her fellow prosecutors in the Department of Justice fraud section for two years about operationalizing compliance. And I think that message that she was trying to communicate certainly resonate, resonated with prosecutors. And when the prosecutors start communicating that out to companies, um, that's really where a, a change can be made. And if you've talked to anyone who went in front of Wei Chen during her time with the Department of Justice, you know that she wanted to see what was not just what was your compliance program, but what was the data? What did the numbers show? What did your analysis show? And then taking it a step further, how did you loop that information back into your program in a feedback loop so you could improve it? So that that alone would have uh, put her uh, as someone would, uh, would that has really moved the compliance profession forward. But uh, I think she did that in conjunction with several other initiatives at the uh, Department of Justice and now with her private practice 
It's really going to elevate the role of the chief compliance officer and the compliance profession. The other thing about her interview is she she broadened it to compliance and ethics specifically. And uh, that's another concept that she talked about. She talked about it during the spring and the ethical component of how you do business. And I don't want to say that that's not rocket science. Maybe I should. Um, Maybe it's not rocket science. Uh, But to getting employees thinking about doing the right thing from the ethical perspective, uh, if you do that, uh, I think compliance will largely flow from that. So it's going to be interesting to uh, to help her explore these issues. Uh, I'm certainly going to write about it, podcast about it, and think about it, and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing what additional public comments she might make. There was so some, next on our list. Um, our friends Tom, that have you? Yeah, I was going to say. Um, I, I still took an Uber this week, uh, coming back from the airport. I'm wondering if if you're ready to uh, shift to Lyft yet. Shift to Lyft. Man, that may have to be the name of an episode. The shift to Lyft. Maybe you should trademark that. Um, <laughs> shift to Lyft. Jay Rosen, retired Mr. Monitors, now trademark guru extraordinaire. Shift to Lyft, folks. The uh, Uber is under FCPA investigation. We knew that. But we had some um, Reuters, uh, David Ingram, uh, reported on some of the specific details. And frankly, Jay, um, they look to be, uh, I don't want to say routine, but in the nature of facilitation payments, in the nature of uh, donations to um, uh, charitable enterprises and donations to government initiatives, sort of a CSR kind of component, corporate social responsibility. Um Given the culture of Uber, I have to would, would have to opine that it's not surprising that they would engage in FCPA violations. But the information we've seen so far in the public record about what the allegations against them are um, is not something that uh, I think would cause a, a lot of heartburn. Now, having said that, it may be because Uber is uh, has engaged in such nefarious acts uh, with Graystroke, uh, with the, the HELL program, with its um, attempts of um, alleged attempts of theft of intellectual property from Google um, and other uh, detailed nefarious acts, you know, perhaps it, it uh, payments like this uh, might be questioned and might not uh, pass FCPA muster. Uh, but they're really at the start of the uh, investigation, and until we see something uh, significantly more different, um, I don't think uh, we just have to wait. But in breaking news uh, today, Jay, the city of London uh, canceled Uber's license and gave them basically three weeks to appeal. And Uber, of course, attacked the, uh, the city of London, saying that they were Luddites and they were just protecting the black uh, black cabs of London and um, – the, uh, not the black cabbies, the black cabs, uh, the traditional cabs in the city of London. But uh, if the reason the license was um, revoked was that uh, uh, Uber was not fit to hold a license. And, you know, that's certainly a valid uh, interpretation, I think, by a regulator at this point, given all we know about Uber. And if uh, fit for purpose is uh, uh, can, has an ethical component, Uber might fail that, and uh, if they have not thought about that, they sure better think about it going forward. It's not just yeah, a shift to lift. It's uh, <laughs> are, are you uh, are you ethical enough to hold a license to drive a uh, taxi cab? And uh, that's a pretty low bar. 
Yeah, and uh, and I think that all comes down to the reputational risk that's always talked about. That you know, if you're under investigation, <clears throat> you know you're you're considered innocent until proven guilty. But if a company now has four successive uh, concurrent investigations going on into their business practices, um, if I was uh, a city and I was granting a license. I might think, as you are saying, that they're thinking that the company may not be fit to conduct business in a way that's fair and equitable to um, other people within that industry. So uh, to be continued, and the article briefly just took a look at the uh, potential uh, investigative and um, you know different costs that uh, Uber may start to be uh, undergoing as they're hiring law firms and investigators. So um, that will be something that maybe we'll, we'll start seeing being tallied on a quarterly basis like some of the other investigations that have happened over the years. Indeed. So next up, I have to give a shout out to the hometown heroes, Houston Astros, who have clinched the AL West. Um, uh, perhaps we might have a real old fashioned Donnybrook with uh, the Astros and the Dodgers, um, uh, a hated team here in Houston from when they used to stomp on us back in the day. But uh, kudos to the boys. Uh, they're in the playoffs and where they go uh, with Justin Verlander, hopefully far. But that really led me to, to an um, exploration, Jay, of another intersection of sports and compliance. And uh, I know you're a – are you a re retired or recovering screenwriter? I can't remember. Uh, recovering. Okay. So um, I think in the screenwriting writing world, you could not write about this stuff because uh, as with fiction uh, – you have, if, if you write fiction, you know it has to make sense. Well, some of the stuff you can't make up. And so Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi, is under uh, scrutiny for uh, recruiting scandal. And um, the head coach uh, was fired in July after it turned out that he had used state-owned or, excuse me, um, uh, state-paid-for cell phones to call uh, to obtain escorts through an escort service. Uh, he, uh, both he and the state originally claimed that it was just uh, uh, a mistaken dialing, which uh, sent him to these escort service numbers. It turns out there was a pattern and practice of this over many years. Now there's allegations, Jay, that not only the former head coach, but his staff used burner phones and the burner phones were used in the recruiting process. So if I had told you that uh, burner phones were used in recruiting to set up escorts for high school kids underage, you would have just looked at me and said, Tom, we have this padded room here and we're going to just let you sit in there and we have this little white jacket for you and you just sit in here and, and rest. Um, it was just uh, incredible. But from the compliance angle, Jay, uh, if uh, – Assistant coaches are using burner phones in recruiting. What's keeping uh, business development people from using burner phones to communicate to um, uh, further bribery schemes? So uh, might, maybe, maybe there is a screenplay there. I don't know. Well, you're, you're certainly taking it offline. And I think uh, one of the points you make in your article is, is that <clears throat> whereas emails are easily tracked, 
Um, it's a bit harder to be tracking uh, conversation or texts uh, between phones unless you've uh, got some type of warrant to be doing so. And I don't know how you would, uh, you know, be able to capture these burner phones. How did they actually know that they existed? Is, is it from the former head coach's um, testimony or did they actually find receipts where they were using programs money to go out and buy the burner phones. So that's part of the uh, the other part of this uh, really unbelievable story is uh, the current or the most recently fired coach was Hugh Freeze. And when the recruiting allegations came up, Freeze and university officials accused the prior head coach, uh, then prior, Houston Nutt, N-U-T-T, of causing the uh, recruiting violations. Well, Nutt turned around and sued for defamation. And as part of that uh, initiative, his lawyer has put forward a affidavit uh, alleging the uh, burner phone issue. And that's how it came about. The uh, affidavit has not been made public, so we don't know the uh, details as yet. But um, lots of lessons learned for the lawyers out there. Don't be defaming prior coaches because they can turn around and, and uh, sue your ass. And don't forget that when you work for uh, a big uh, public school football program, you're a state employee. <clears throat> so all of those records are subject to the Open Records Act. So uh, they can do a lot of discovery without even having to file a lawsuit. In fact, that's how they found out uh, Hugh Freeze uh, had been calling escort services uh, because they got uh, his phone records through a state of Mississippi um, um, FOIA request. So um, really interesting. It's going to be uh, interesting to watch that one going forward. But uh, you're absolutely right. How do you monitor that as a uh, compliance professional? Do you need to add a new line to your annual attestation that you not only have not violated the FCPA, but you haven't used any burner phones in any sales initiatives? I don't know. So I'd like to quote one more great paragraph that I liked in it. Uh, for the chief compliance officer and compliance professional, there are some interesting lessons to be garnered from the weirdness at the University of Mississippi. The first lesson is when sales spike up from the ashes to the heights that the Mississippi football team achieved over the past few years, you might want to check into the reasons. Old Miss football had not been relevant for many years and under Coach Freeze, quote, brought top-ranked recruiting classes to Old Miss, beat Alabama in back-to-back seasons, and won the Sugar Bowl just two years ago. There might be a reason other than superior coaching for this renaissance. So if you have a sales spike in a region, which for 30 years or so has been an also-ran in marketing, you might want to inquire into what caused the change. I couldn't have said it better myself. In fact, you did. <laughs> there we go. So, Jay, I'm continuing my uh, monthly podcast series of One Month to a More Effective Compliance Program. Uh, Here in September, we're looking at innovations in your compliance program. Over the past week, I looked at super forecasting, the OUDA feedback loop, one of my favorite words, real-time versus right-time monitoring, improvisation, and putting compliance at the center of business strategy. Um, Next week um, will be the final week of uh, this month. This month's sponsor has been Oversight Systems. It's available on the uh, FCPA Compliance Report website, iTunes, Libsyn, YouTube, and JD Supra. If you haven't checked it out, uh, I hope you'll do it. It's uh, 
really put some interesting innovative techniques in there. And as a compliance practitioner, let me just leave you with this. When it comes to innovation, you are only limited by your imagination. So, Jay, I know it's, um, it's a pretty important weekend in uh, your heritage. Uh, will you be having a weekend report or will you be spending time uh, thinking about uh, the family? Uh, I think I owe my readers last week's uh, report that never came out because I was in the Berkshires. So I'm going to contemplate uh, the stories we tell again and see if I can uh, get that right up. And, um, you know, uh, I think we've got everything on our list here. Uh, I guess the one thing that you and I should talk about, and I don't know if it's – if we need to put anything on the line, but Texans Patriots this weekend, uh, any thoughts on which way that's going to go? Well, the line is 14. So I think that about says it all. All right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, I guess the Pats uh, looked more like the Pats last week, but I think, uh, there are a lot of people on IR and, uh, you know, if you've got the J.J. Watt factor, I think 14 is a lot of points, but uh, I guess we can talk about that next week. Uh, Tom, any conferences, any travel on your end that we need to make anyone aware of? Nope, nope. Just getting ready for uh, SCCE, Com- uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute in Las Vegas, October 15th through 18. If you haven't signed up, please do so. It's the one of the top compliance conferences annually. It's uh, expected to have over 2,000 people. It's at Caesars Palace. It is a great fun, great time to be with some great friends. Uh, they have a great sports book if you're interested in that. Uh, I know I will be there uh, uh, busily watching football games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday uh, when I'm not conferencing. So uh, please join Jay and I at the SCCE uh, 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute. And that's, uh, I think, my uh, speaking engagement uh, right now in October, Jay. Great. So since I... Uh did the intro. Would you like to bring us on home? So for Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, uh, this is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Thank you for joining us for the Apples and Honey edition this week in FCPA for the week ending September 22, 2017. We hope you'll join us again. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, we hope that you would rate our podcast It was as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only weekly podcast in FCPA compliance and ethics. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can reach Jay Rosen at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will join us next week for another episode of This Week in FCPA, a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.